Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Can you hear me out there? All right. Okay, great. Thanks, team. We may all be seated this afternoon. And welcome back to our second week as we explore this series of revolution, the life within. Last week, uh, Chris Shimon began this series as we looked at the, the topic of seizing the life. And so we got off to a great start, and today's title is The Presence-Driven Life. How many want a presence-driven life? And so we're tackling that subject today, and really what we're after is a life that is revolutionized by the Lord. This is what this, this whole series is really about here at the 2.30. This series is about God doing a work of change inside of us, doing an inside-out change. And if we want to have a greater impact on the outside, how many know God is sure enough going to have to do a work on the inside of us, to do an inside change? And so we're looking at the presence-driven life. Right from, from the beginning, when, when man was created, God has had this desire to personally presence himself with his people. Adam and Eve had the personal presence of God in the Garden of Eden. They were walking and talking with God in the cool of the day in that garden. But man fell through sin and lost the personal presence of God and was banished from the garden. But ever since then, God has been seeking to make a way to restore his presence to his people. Amen. And he did this with Israel. Back in the, with the tabernacle of Moses and the tabernacle of David, the tent of meeting and the, the temples and the ark and the cherubim. All of this was about God presencing himself and revealing himself to his people. In fact, there's a scripture, Exodus 25 verse 8, that shows what God's desire is. He said, make for me a sanctuary that I may dwell within them, or I might dwell among them. And so Israel was to be this dwelling place for God, to be this house for God. But today, God is not primarily concerned with a temple of wood and stone. How many know that you are the temple of God? God is not just some mechanical God. He's not a God who dwells in, in buildings uh, and stone and, and machinery. He dwells in people. He loves to presence himself in people. How did this happen? Jesus Christ, one man, the Son of God, came and dwelt among us, and he restored man as the dwelling place of God. Through his sacrifice and atonement for sin on the cross, he brought us back to God's original plan, to God's purpose. So we are his temple. We are his sanctuary. We are his dwelling place. And so a Christian is literally someone who is a living, breathing temple of Almighty God. How many know that's good news? And so when you get saved, God moves in. He occupies you. He takes residence inside of you. And so salvation is not just all about man getting into heaven. It's about God getting into man. God wants to occupy you and make his, his residence within you. And so the good news is that, that God has taken residence in you. The Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you're a believer today, God has presence himself in you. 
And the biggest privilege in life that we have is to have this living, vibrant relationship with the Lord. It was uh, C.S. Lewis who put it like this, you are not a mere mortal. If you follow Jesus, your soul has been made alive to God. And so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are flowing through you even right now. And so this is the biggest privilege. And the desire of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is to bring us near. This is what it says in Ephesians 2.13. Ephesians 2.13 is about God wanting to bring us near to himself. And so our Creator God, Father God, wants to bring the created, that's us, into the communion that is shared between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He wants us to go beyond our superficial religious experience and actually really experience His presence. How many want that? And that's what we're looking at today. Because deep within you, although some of you may not realize it and sometimes you may not feel like it, there is a burning desire, a longing for presence-driven Christianity. You're not satisfied with just religion. You're not satisfied with just the dutiful worship. Something within you longs for, for, for the presence-driven Christianity. Amen? And so today, whilst we are thankful for salvation, and salvation is wonderful, it, it's great, and we, we, we're here together, and if you've uh, you know, had your, your sins washed and you've been made clean, you are thankful. We're a thankful people. But that's just the beginning of the Christian life. Much more exists and is available and possible in God than what many of us might actually be walking in right now. So much more is available for us to experience in the Christian life. And so I want to ask you a few questions today. I want to ask you what drives you? Or more than that, who drives you? What drives you today? We're looking at the presence-driven life. But what drives you today? What is it, or who is it that drives you? Because in life, how many know that we can be driven by all kinds of different things? We can be driven by all kinds of stuff. And what might some of these things be? Well, I listed a few here. We can have a stress-driven life. How many know that that's not a great life to live? In other words, we're always worried and we're anxious about what's going to happen next. We're, we're anxious about what's going to happen the next day. Some might uh, live a fear-driven life. You're always dominated by fear. You weren't born like that. You just learn to be afraid all the time. Some are taken up with a, a performance-driven life. A performance-driven life where all your, your energies and your time is given to, to, to thinking about your performance, always seeking to get your self-esteem and your acceptance from how you perform. And so you're always under pressure about how you're going to perform and uh, do you look good. Uh, some of us might be taken up with our gifts and talents, uh, the, the gift-driven life. Some are taken up with the success-driven life. Or maybe the, the blessed-driven life, always seeking the next blessing or seeking just a happier life uh, or the next high. Uh, or maybe you're here and you're always people-driven. Maybe people are always your, your focus and you kind of make a living out of, you know, always uh, trying to take care of everybody else's burdens. How many know that's a hard taskmaster? You're always worried about people and trying to make them happy. Or perhaps you're here and you're all focused on a purpose-driven life and there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe some of you are, 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 have read the book, 
The Purpose Driven Church or The Purpose Driven Life by, by Rick Warren is a wonderful book about discovering purpose and vision for your life. And, and maybe that's what you spend all of your time devoting yourself to, pursuing your dreams. And, and so you, in your life, you're set on how to manage your life and how to, to organize your life and to control your life better so that things will go well for you. Or how about an, another kind of life, the religious driven life? Trying to keep all of your Christian dutiful responsibilities and making life go well and so it all works out well, but actually not enjoying God and His presence in the process and really ignoring what's really going on in you spiritually. The religious driven life. And how many know even in ministry there can be so many different things that we can be driven by? Even in church life, we can be driven by, by, by you know, be, becoming a better leader, uh, becoming a better prayer, becoming better in the Word, developing our giftings and our skill sets, our communication ability, all these things. And today, we know there are many things just in general in life that are important. Things like finances, health, relationships, friendships, family. Ministry, gifts, and talents, all of these things are important. But is it possible that whilst all of these things are valid and important, purpose, a happy life, a better life, a more blessed life, that we have substituted these things for His presence? And I want to put it, something to you today that I, I think is, is so true and cer certainly what God's desire is for us is that the greatest thing for a person to know and experience is to know God and to experience His presence. The most precious thing that any of us can know and value and cherish is the presence of God. And you see, God might be doing some wonderful things in his church. He might be doing some wonderful things in, in your life. But let's not forget that the most important thing in church life is not necessarily the meetings and the structures and the budget and, and, and good buildings. The most important thing in the life of the church is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the main thing. It's the presence of the Lord that God has promised to his house that makes the difference. Amen. It's what brings real life to our inner being. It's the presence of the Lord that keeps us sometimes through those temptations and those trials and those difficulties, those storms. And when we look in Scripture at men and women of old and certainly heroes of the Bible, heroes of the faith, we see something in common with many of them. And it's this, that they led a presence-driven life. They cultivated a presence lifestyle. I'd like you to come with me to Psalm 27, verse 4. Psalm 27, verse 4. Here is a psalm of David. It says one thing. Underline that, those two words, if you're into that kind of thing in your Bibles. One thing I have desired of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all, everybody say all, all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him 
in his temple. Psalm 27 is a prayer of David. These words are known to many. You have come across these words, I'm sure. People have memorized it, have sung about it, have quoted it many times. But here is someone who knows the lifestyle of seeking God's presence. We might say that David is an example of a a presence-driven man. David was a king. He was a priest. He was a a prophet. He was many things. He was an author. Uh, He wrote two-thirds of the Psalms. He was a songwriter, a a husband, a worship leader. He was the commander of of a very big army, and so he was a very busy guy. And he was also responsible for overseeing the tabernacle of David, which involved around 4,000 musicians. Yes, please, Lord, bring them in. 4,000 musicians, 288 singers, ministering to the Lord in praise and worship 24-7 all year round. Uh, And of course, that would be something that would have taken some serious organization. But he was a worshiper. And much of our expression of worship today, of course, has been really modeled based on the tabernacle of David, this new expression of worship. But David was something else as well. He was a student of God. He was a student of God. That means he studied God. He was passionate about the Lord. And when you read the Psalms, we see how David was someone who was amazed by the presence of God. You read some of the Psalms. Many of the Psalms are talking about his presence. He was amazed by the the manifest presence of God. What was that? It was about God acting and speaking. He was amazed by the personal presence of God, which was all about really God abiding and drawing near. And so he was amazed that God is everywhere. Just check out Psalm 139 in your own time. It says these words, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. And so what is he saying? He's saying, God, you are everywhere. There's nowhere I can go where you're not there. If I, You're here, you're there, you're everywhere. You surround me. Showing that us, for us, it's very important that we understand that God is everywhere, even in the tough times. He's saying, God, you're everywhere. And the psalmist here in Psalm 27 is expressing one thing. He's asking for one thing. What is it? He is asking for constant communion in God's presence. He says, one thing have I decided, this only do I seek. One thing have I desired, this only do I seek. He's saying one thing. I just want to spend a few moments on these words. He's saying the primary thing, not the second thing, but the priority of my life is that I might dwell in the presence of the Lord. He's saying that experiencing Him is what I want more than anything else in my life. I mean, just think about that for a moment, because you've got David, he's expressing passion, he's expressing desire, he's expressing intent. But how many know how easy it is as believers to be out of touch with our desire for God? Because much of the time, if we're sometimes very, very honest, we are more aware of our other desires Desires for a happier life or a more blessed life. And second things have become first in our affections. 
We get excited perhaps about the next project and the next task and keeping busy and just making life work for ourselves. And so when we pursue all these good things as first things, we turn to God just to kind of cope with our life, but we don't turn to Him for any experience of His presence. But the question that this psalm kind of provokes is what do we want most in life? To be closer to God or something else? Or put another way, are you more interested in communion in the presence of God that will truly satisfy your soul or other things that will just improve your life? And so more than just wanting to make life work for yourself, is there something within you that desires His presence more? Do you want God more? This is what the Psalm 27 is all about. And so surely the most supernatural thing that we can do, whether life is going great or not great, is to know God better and to value His presence more than anything else. This means that the best commitment I can make is to discover my desire for God and to feed that desire more than anything else. Amen? So in this life, there is a battle going on, and maybe you felt it for yourself. There is a battle going on, a battle of competing desires, where things that we want in this life become more important than knowing God and enjoying Him and experiencing God Himself. There are competing desires. Natural desires are fighting for first place. And in the Bible, this is called idolatry. We seek after the pursuit of pleasure rather than pursuing God. But how many know that God is continually knocking on the door because he wants first place? He wants first place in our hearts. And so what Satan has sought to do right from the beginning is to cleverly try and convince us that there is something better than experiencing God himself. He's done this very subtly, and so what happens is personal desires become central in our life. And Satan comes, and he, and he says, you can have it all. Remember what he said to Jesus, those three temptations? When Jesus was out in the wilderness for those 40 days fasting, Satan was offering all kinds of things at him. You can have it all, Jesus. He says, I have all the resources to supply everything that you could possibly need in this world. And so for us, we must realize as believers, New Testament believers, that God and His presence is the only thing that will satisfy us deep within. That our deepest desires can only be satisfied in the presence of God with Him at the very center. Natural desires are competing with supernatural desire. Every day, the pleasures of life are fighting for first place within us. And in the Christian life, we can even become so much more driven for the blessings in life. And at the same time, the devil and the flesh are are saying things like real life is the enjoyment of blessings in this world, not God himself. And so as believers, this might be a bit of a generalization, but as believers, there are two sets of desires that we have. The desire to know God and to experience His presence. And we all have this because God is resident within us. 
But we also have the desire for pleasures of this life, the blessings of this life, uh, the per- to have purpose and success, uh, to feel good, to feel valued and wanted. How many know those things are important? And none of these things, of course, are, are, are wrong in and of themselves. But the battle begins when all the desire for blessings in this life become the ruling passion of our heart. And we actually think those things are the thing that's going to satisfy us and fulfill us. But inside the very depths of our heart, right down deep within our soul, there is a longing to know God and His presence. How many long for that? There is a longing to experience Him. And this is what must be the first thing. This is the one thing that David said in this psalm. Every other longing of the human heart must be second place. These second thing desires must be second place. And when God is our full desire and when He is everything that we want, we are in the best spiritual place in our life. And the battle for every one of us is to keep the first thing desire first place and the second thing desires second place. This is why the Soul Talk course that was just mentioned early on is being used to awaken this first thing, this one thing. This desire and passion for God, that it would rule our heart more than anything else in our life. That God would be the first thing, the one thing. And so for David, coming back to this Psalm 27 and David, there is nothing like being in the company of God's presence. There is nothing like experiencing the pleasures of His presence. Of being close to God, of drawing near to God. He's not saying he wants to be in God's presence, you know, for a day or for a night or for a short time. He wants to be there all the days of his life. That's what he's passionate about. Another place is David said things like this, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And throughout the psalm, he starts to communicate this desire and this passion for the presence of God. And David sustained this passion and this desire for decades, not just for a few weeks and a few months. Sometimes we might think that we're radical because we might be in that place for for a few days or a few weeks. No, David was someone who maintained this desire for, for a long time, decades. And so Psalm 27 is about where you live. It's talking about where you abide. And so where you dwell, in other words, I, I, I'm, so I live, my family, we live in Sudbury, Stroke Harrow, and we can say that we are inhabitants of that area. We are inhabitants of, of Harrow. But the word dwell then is not talking about something that we do here and there, not just some discipline, it's talking about the place where you live, the place where you abide, the place where you love to live. The word dwell means to live as a resident. To reside, to exist in a a given place or state, to fasten one's attention. And so the psalm is expressing that desire of having this lifestyle that's actually hidden in God, dwelling night and day to always be in the presence of God Almighty. This is what the psalm's talking about, cultivating a presence lifestyle. How many want a presence lifestyle? Amen. At the age of 30, David was made the king of Israel. He was anointed at the age of 15 or 16. He had to go through a lot of training and things in his life to get ready for kingship. But at the age of 30, he'd arrived. And he was made the king 
of Israel, which means he now had the money and the power. He had the position and the authority to do whatever he wanted. What would you do if you had everything you could possibly want? Maybe we shouldn't ask that question too, too soon. I'm sure we would think of a lot of different things. But interestingly, the first thing that David did when he became king was to rescue the ark and to bring it back to Jerusalem. The ark is symbolic of the, of the presence of the Lord. It is symbolic of the glory of the Lord. This is what he wanted. This is what he dreamed about. This is what he sung about. This is what he wrote about. He wanted the presence of God. He wanted to recover the presence of God in Israel. He wanted to see the glory of God restored to Israel. And he would have been, you know, he would have known and he would have heard all of the stories about Moses many years ago. Uh, Moses, who was another presence-driven man. Uh, and, and he would have heard about the tabernacle of Moses, uh, of how the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man does with his friend. In those days, the, 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 the Moses entered the tabernacle. The Bible says the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. Incredible picture, isn't it? All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped outside the tent. Incredible picture, isn't it? How the glory of God would appear, and God would speak to a man as he does his friend. David would have known how the ark went with them wherever they went. And how it would lead them, the presence of God would lead them. It was a, a cloud by day and a, a pillar of fire by night. And how Moses experienced and he encountered God in so many different ways. And David's resolve, of course, was strengthened by the past. Just like today when we hear about church history and moves of the Spirit and, and heroes of the faith, something within David said, I've got to have what he had. I've got to have a taste of that. More than money, more than power or position, possessions or any victory or any another blessing, I've got to have the presence of the Lord because for him, that's what truly satisfied his soul. You and I can, can be so content with so many different things. We can know many things about God. We can have an interest in theological things and we can talk about different Christian topics. We can be involved in aspects of church ministry, go through the motions of, of church life. But I want to ask you something today. It's very simple. Is there something within you that cries out for the presence of the Lord? Is there something deep within you that you are tapping into? that says, I want the presence of God more than anything else in my life. See, this psalm is teaching that there is nothing in life, whether life is going great or not, whether it's blessed or not, whether there's high times or low times, there is nothing like having the presence of the Lord with you. And every generation, just like David's, has to contend for this. That we will not be content for anything less than the genuine presence of the Lord. Not that which is counterfeited or manufactured, but the raw and authentic presence of the Lord. How many want that? The authentic presence of the Lord being restored in our lives, being restored in our time, being restored in our generation in His church where Jesus Christ is, again, is, is actually the one who is enthroned in our hearts.
See, whether David was a shepherd for his father, uh, whether he was an armor bearer for Saul, whether he was a fugitive who was serving out there in the wilderness, or even as a king of Israel, he was a man who longed to draw near to the Lord. He longed for his presence. And this was strengthened through every season of his life. And we're not saying, of course, that David was perfect in any way. He wasn't. He had weaknesses. He had flaws. But you see, this is why he talked about it so much. Even after he fell, even after he sinned, the one thing that was more precious to David than anything else wasn't that he would just keep his job or that the Lord might reinstate him or not that he would use him again, but it was that, that he would have the presence of God. He said in Psalm 51, don't cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He wasn't interested in anything else. It was just the presence. Because he knew if he could just have the presence that everything would be okay. Let me ask you a question today. What is it that you seek? What is it that you desire? What is it that you're really after in your life? Because how many know that there are many other things, the presence of other things, that are after your attention? There are many interruptions and distractions in our life that want to take over. For some, it might be just genuine good things, business and family, work. But there might be worries and then fears. All these kind of things that divert our attention from the Lord. But there may be many good things. When we study Israel's history in the Old Testament... As we said that David was looking back at all the stories of Moses and how God would dwell among the Israelites. At one point, God was, was angry with the idolatry of his people, Israel, because God constantly was communicating that he's a jealous God. How many know that God is a jealous God? And the spirit that he has put within you envies intensely. God occupies you, but he wants 100% loyalty. And so he was angry with the people of Israel, and he told Moses that he was no longer going to journey with them in person, that he was going to send the, the angel of the Lord to be with them. God said, you can go into the promised land. You can have the blessings that I promised I would give you. And even you can have the angel of the Lord. You can have the angel of the Lord. I mean, wouldn't that be great? How many would know it would be wonderful to have the angel of the Lord wherever you went? I'm sure many people would be happy with that. But check this. Moses told God he was not going to accept a substitute. He didn't want just an angelic visitation. He wanted the genuine, authentic presence of the Lord. Moses was no longer interested in just the blessings of the promised land. He wanted nothing else if it would just be a substitute for the divine presence of the Lord. It wasn't enough. He was saying, what's the point of going into the promised land if we can't have you? What's the point of all the blessings in life if we can't have God himself? Maybe we can apply that to, to our own hearts and lives today. Because you see, for Moses, the real blessing was not all the trimmings on the side and having a, a better life, a more improved life in the promised land. The real blessing was God himself. And it moved the heart of God, who then showed his glory to Moses. God's heart was so moved, and he restored his presence. 
How many know that you didn't sign up to the Christian life just for a very blessed, improved life? You signed up to the Christian life for God himself. To have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit residing in you. And he is enough. Amen. Our message is not come to Jesus Christ and your life will be blessed and everything will go well. Because how many know it doesn't work out like that? But if we have God himself, how many know we can get through life? We can get through everything, every storm that comes our way. St. Augustine said this, he put it this way many years ago. Suppose God himself came to you and invited you to draw up your ultimate wish list. With things on it, we'd all agree are okay for Jesus' followers to enjoy. A satisfying sense of purpose and meaning, a great family life, the excitement of romance and adventure, great health, fulfilling job with lots of money, a great home, a great car, maybe a boat, good experiences in church on Sunday. But then God says, I will give you everything on your list and I will grant you a long life to enjoy all of this. But there's one condition. Only one. If you accept this offer, you will never see my face. Augustine said, the chill that you feel when you think of never seeing God's face is your love for God. And sometimes the truth is, we go off track because we stop seeking the face of God. His face is no longer what we're seeking anymore. We're seeking the face of other things. But see, Moses refused to move ahead without the presence of the Lord. He said, unless your presence goes with us, I'm not, I'm not budging from here. I'm not going any further. We forget sometimes that the most important person in church is God himself. Let me ask you today, what drives you? What are you seeking? What motivates you? Deep down in the core of your being, what are you really after? Deep down within your soul. See, Moses had not only experienced the presence of the Lord, but he was someone who knew the presence of God. He, got, he, he knew what the presence of the Lord was like. He'd been there many times. Of course, he was the intercessor that was standing in the gap for Israel. But you see, Moses was someone who went up to the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And on one occasion, he came down the mountain and he goes into the Israelite camp and he sees all of this evil going on. All of this, this wild festival and all the Israelites are going wild and going around, dancing around everywhere, worshipping this golden calf that they had brought, the, that they are saying that has brought them out of Egypt. This is the, the, uh, the idol. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. This man-made idol. But you see, Moses had just been in the presence of the Lord. And he comes into the camp and with all of this idolatrous activity was taking place and all the Israelites are dancing around and they're saying, this is the God that delivered us from Egypt. And Moses effectively says, this is not God. I've just been with Him. I know His presence. I know His voice. And if there's one thing I know, that's not God. I know what God is like. I know His voice. I know His presence. And it's not like that. Today, people might say all kinds of different things. Well, this is God and that is God. And you hear it sometimes. Well, this is what God is doing. But perhaps if we would just be those who would spend more time in His presence, we could say, that's not God because I've just been with Him. 
Because otherwise, what might start to happen is we start to welcome the spirit of the camp and the idolatry that sometimes can infiltrate our life. I said at the start of this message that if we want to have a greater impact on the outside, that God has got to do something on the inside of us. Amen. And God is very interested in that. He wants us to be those who have an impact on the outside. When Moses was speaking with the Lord, he said, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from this place. How will anyone know that you are pleased with your people unless you go with us? What will distinguish your people from all the other people? Maybe a a more parallel question for us to ask is, what is going to cause the church to stand out in the world in London? Because surely the church is going to stand out much more when she is different from the world And she doesn't necessarily blend in with the world. But Moses knew it was the presence of God that separated them from all the others on the face of the planet. Moses said, what will distinguish us from the the rest? How will they know that we bear your name? And for us as New Testament believers, what this says is that for us, we are those who bear the presence of Jesus in our world. Amen in our family, workplace, and college, wherever it is, we are those who bear the name of Jesus. And so God wants us to be those who carry the presence of Jesus. Amen? To be those who are Jesus people, who look like Jesus, who sound like Jesus. And the presence of God is, is a huge attractant. It's an attractive thing. People are not attracted to us because of who we are. They're attracted because of the presence of God with us. And so that's why when people that that don't know you, they say things to you like, would you pray for me? Can I talk to you about something? Because they see the presence of God in you. It's nothing special about you. It's because who's living in you. They are attracted by the presence of the Lord. They wonder, what is it that you have that I need? We could say that God's presence is like a magnet. It causes someone who doesn't even know you to say, what is it about you that's so different that I've not seen before? I've noticed the way that you just, you, you, you move around and the, the, the way you talk and the way you listen. There's just something about you that's so different. It's the presence of God. And so that's a way maybe of knowing that God is with me. When people start to get attracted to the God who is in me. What a prayer to pray when we're getting ready to go to work, when you're going to university, when you're going to school, to pray that God, would would I be one who radiates the presence of God to those who don't know you? And so with the presence of God in us, you can live a life that is so much different maybe from the one that you are currently living. Something that's so much more fulfilling. We can be recognizably different People should be able to look at us and see something different. And the wonderful news is this, to be encouraged, is that the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit reside in you. And there is something within you. If you are a believer, there is something deep within you that longs for this presence-driven, this presence-driven Christianity that we're looking at. Psalm 27. It's His presence that is changing us to the degree that we would actually emanate Him. We would reveal Him. 
it's his presence that is transforming us it's the presence of Jesus that draws other people to us I guess this is again this is what soul talk for those who are studying soul talk this is what it's all about we learn how to respond to people we learn how to encourage people we learn how to to say things and when not to say things we learn when God is trying to get someone's attention. Why? Because we're being led by the presence and not by the other things that we so ordinarily get used to doing, the self-talk. Real life is about knowing God. Amen? It's about experiencing Him. And you can experience Him anywhere. You don't necessarily have to become a Christian conference junkie and going around everywhere where there's the, the next anointed sermon or service. You can experience God, of course, in our gatherings here together. You can experience God at work, in your home, wherever God has placed you. Anywhere you can experience the presence of the Lord. You can draw near to Him. Even in the busyness that's all going around you. Even in the storms of life, you can experience the presence of the Lord. For those who are going through a tough time in the midst of a trial or, or, or difficulty, God just wants to show up and let you know that He's there. That He's not quitting on you. That He's committed to you. And that might mean that the thing that you're wrestling with and, the, and, and the, the strife and the inner things that you're wrestling with, they may not disappear. But at least if we can know that God is actually presence with us, He's presencing Himself with us and revealing Himself with us, we'll know that it's going to be okay. Amen? Maybe you're tired and you're weary. You're worn out. And you just need to tap into some real life. It's found in His presence. It's found nowhere else. It doesn't come in the next task or the next project. It comes from Him alone. Often every hard thing that we sometimes go through can put us into touch with our desire for God. It's often in those hard times that we discover God Himself. We discover that all we need is Him, Himself. And my encouragement to us today is let's be people who cherish the presence of God. Let's not take for granted the presence of the Lord. Let's not take for granted the anointing of the Lord that's upon your life. God wants to do something very deep in your life in this season. Let's not ignore what He wants to do. Let's make sure that our hearts are very wide open, that our minds are receptive to everything that God wants to do in our life in this season. That we would allow Him to go right into the core of our being and start to reshape the way that we look at Him. To reshape the way that we actually organize our life and manage our life. God will be the one who is the most important person to us. That He will become our driving passion. Let's stand together, please, if you would. Join me. In a moment, the team are going to lead us in a, in a song which is called Thirsty. And really, the lyrics are about being those who are thirsty for the presence of the Lord, who are hungry for the Word of God. The lyrics say that, Lord, we need you more than ever, more than this world can give. I wonder how thirsty you are today. Thank God that He is the one who pours water on the dry and thirsty ground. He pours water on the dry and thirsty heart. He knows you. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That God knows us 
so intimately. He knows every desire. He knows every motive, every intent. He knows us. The Bible says that He has searched us and He knows us. There's nothing that He doesn't know. Everything in our life is laid bare before Him. The One who knows all things. You know, this message is for me as much as it is for every one of us here in this place. God wants us to be those who would tap into the well, the fountain of God's presence. Just for a couple of moments, I'd like you to just take this moment before we we sing this song to the Lord, just to ask God to come and draw near even now. As you draw near to Him, the Bible says He draws near. As you attempt to come close to God, He's coming close to you even now. And start to submit those longings of your heart to Him. Those deep longings, those yearnings within you. Say, God, I'm thirsty for you. I am hungry for you. And Lord, I admit that there have been interruptions and distractions. I have been driven by so many other things. But Lord, I'm coming back to the one thing today. I'm coming back to my first love today. I'm coming back to the first place. God, would you be first? What did you tell Him that this afternoon? God, would you be first in my life? Come and present yourself here in my soul, deep within. I want to be a presence-driven person, Lord. Just for a couple more moments, express our heart to the Lord. Here we are, Lord. The second things have taken place in my life, but I'm coming back to my first love, coming back to you.